0: LifeWay Lifeway Leadership Leadership Podcast Network
1: G'day, I'm Derek Anna. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel-centered ministry every week It's just me this week, Scott's away Don't know what he's doing, but he's not here So you've got me Anyway, that's alright We've got someone else more interesting than me on today who I'll introduce in just one moment. Uh, the One Thing is brought to you thanks to Geneva Pussy, the Australian Church Planning Network. We're also proudly part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, and we'd encourage you to check out our new network page on iTunes and see all the other quality podcasts, Christian podcasts on there. But for now, you have pressed play on Episode 82 of The One Thing, Cross-Cultural Discipleship. Now we've got Paul Webb with us. Welcome, Paul.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, married to Beth. We've got five kids, Um, young kids. Yeah. How young? uh, Seven, six, four, and two-year-old twins. Wow. Yeah. That's great. So pretty young, pretty busy. Mm. Yep.
1: And uh, where do you work?
0: Yeah, I'm a pastor at Chester Hill Anglican Church. So Chester Hill is in southwest Sydney, sort of near Bankstown, very kind of multicultural area. Um yeah. Nice. Now uh we at our national conference
1: this year um for church planning multiply, uh we asked you to speak on discipleship, particularly in a cross cultural context, which you're working in at yep. Chester Hill Anglican. Um so we're gonna put that in the show notes for people to, to watch. But we're gonna to talk to you today a little bit about cross cultural discipleship and what are the distinctives of it, how you've gone about it. So can we just start um by asking you, what is the need to develop cross-cultural approaches to discipleship?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think we all know that uh, Australia is changing. It's changing pretty rapidly. Lots of different country people from different countries coming into Australia, and uh, it's changing really fast. I don't think that we're really keeping up with it as a church. In fact, um, the Sydney Anglican Diocese, which I'm a part of, I think it was in. 2014 they launched mission 2020 and they set a whole bunch of goals. 2020 is in a couple of months scary isn't it mm. um, anyway it's caused a bit of a, a bit of a panic because one of the goals they set was to increase newcomers to church by 2020. there's a report that's come out last week or, or sometime um, that has shown that rather than increasing it's actually decreased significantly. Now that's Sydney in general, Sydney Anglican Church in general. But I suspect that in more diverse areas, multicultural areas, that'd be um, those stats would be even lower, um, because you know I think, I think we always think that there's there's kind of you know loosely Christian cultures coming to Australia where there is some of those, but a vast majority um, in Sydney in Australia to visit church for them would be really dishonouring their community. Uh, because of religion and, you know, the religion and culture are, are tied so closely together. So I reckon that's that's a big reason we need to develop um, different approaches to discipleship. Mm.
1: So as you have worked in Chester Hill, you and Beth, uh, you've tried to reach people out there. What are the practical barriers you've seen getting in the way of a, a kind of one-size-fits-all reaching those who might have had a Christian background or from Anglo-Christian countries who might come to church but... Yep. And there's lots of people who aren't from that background. What are the practical barriers you're seeing?
0: Yeah, um, I think yeah. In our diverse context, we're we're pretty pretty slow learners. But one of the biggest barriers that we've um, come across, I think, is it's a bit strange, but is is thinking that making our Sunday service multicultural is solving the one size fits all kind of approach. Um, so we've thought, okay, you know, we'll get on the the, the multicultural church plan kind of bandwagon. Um, we've seen some fallout from homogenous churches. We all know those problems, and we're different, right? So we've we've got we're gonna have Chinese writing on the screen and Arabic and have translation and um, prayers in different languages, and so we're doing what we're meant to do. This is great. We're kind of reflecting the heavenly shape of church, mm. and um, this is great. Uh, but then I think the, the barrier we realized is actually quite uncomfortable. That it's possible that after three years we have a church that looks beautiful. So it's got 25 different cultures amongst 140 people or whatever. But it's really just, it could just be a, a Western church that makes me, the Western pastor, feel good mm. that we're being multicultural. We're not actually raising leaders um, and raising disciples of Jesus. So I'll give you, a, um, I guess, a practical, clear practical example is, is just the preaching, right? So I, you know, either lead pastor, preach in English. I can do easy English, or but 20-minute um, sermon, um, actually, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, the other day, I preached on Genesis three, and uh, it was it was a cracker of a sermon, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, three days later, I was meeting with this Nigerian guy, not a Christian, to read the Bible. We happened to to be reading Genesis three, so I asked him before. I said, um, "You know, how was my sermon? How did you find my sermon on Sunday?" And he said, "Mate, oh I would, brother, it was fantastic. You know, it was so clear. I understood it." So, okay, well, thank you. I was feeling pretty good. So then we read Genesis 3 and I said, Have you ever read this before? He said, No, I've never read it. So, have you ever heard it before? No, I've never heard this story before from Genesis chapter 3. Then I knew we've got we have barrier. <laughs> but, so, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's but, just one example. There's, there's plenty of others.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, hey, how are you overcoming that? How are you, how are you changing your approach? So it's not just that I feel good about Sunday, but you're actually reaching people.
0: Yeah, uh, with difficulty, but um, <laughs> yeah, so I think we've realized that kind of those both two main options, multicultural kind of church and, and homogenous church plans, yeah, they've both got their strengths and weaknesses. But um, we've been spending a bit of time looking at church growth, particularly in non-Western countries. Um, so we've been looking at CPM, church planning movements, and DMM, disciple-making movements, um, and we're kind of we're in the process of adapting a form of that because we think it fits better. Um, basically, what it is, our, our version, I suppose, is it's kind of related to missional communities. I suppose I think we probably all know that that, that, that sort of model. But where it's different is we really want the smaller church. So missional communities, you've got um, all-in gathering, but then you every every so often, maybe once a month or something like that. But then you have the smaller house churches. Um, where we want to be a bit different is we really want those smaller churches, those, those disciple-making communities to follow more natural social lines, cultural lines in the way they grow. So even the small house churches or the small um, disciple-making communities, we've got this push out rather than pull in momentum that comes from generational growth, Mm. um, which is another conversation. But essentially, if I can explain it a little more clearly, we've got sort of these catalyst groups that are like missionaries, they're trying to break into a particular demographic in our community, and then they get those people to share Jesus and disciple them along racial lines, something I can't do, that's an important part, and then they form small churches uh, with an indigenous leader. Um,
1: yeah. Is there a particular... Um, are there particular groups of people you're working with and that this works? I know at um, our... Uh, foundations boot camp yeah. that we had a while ago one of the couples um, is pushing into a particular culture and the way they do evangelism just wouldn't work in an Australian context but it yeah. is so effective it's all relational um, and that's how they do it are there particular cultures you're working in and what are, what's an example of a method you're using?
0: Yeah so there, there's there pre, um Chinese culture Arabic culture um, we've got Afghan Muslims that we're uh, working with um, I guess the I guess in practice, what what it looks like is rather than um so in in all of those different communities, we we really want to encourage um, indigenous leaders to be raised up. um so rather than us, the church putting on attractional events, um, we'll so we don't do life course, we don't do you know Christian et cetera. We just kind of send these missionaries out by equipping them with simple discovery Bible study method. Um, and coach them as they form new groups in their community. Um, so really, I mean, there's lots of lots of different things that different missionaries are doing, lots of access ministries like table tennis ministry or ESL, all those sort of things in the community, um, really trying to get to the point of reading the Bible and forming a group around them and see them come to know the Lord Jesus.
1: We're going to just take a quick break, uh, dig into the toolbox for one moment, uh, see so we have for cross-cultural discipleship. Four things we've got for you today. One is we're going to put a link, as I said before, to uh, Paul and Beth's talk at Multiplied TEDx Talk on cross-cultural discipleship. We'll drop that in uh, so you can watch that. That is excellent. Worth worth viewing that one. Uh, Three books. One by Richard Hibbert, who's a lecturer at SMBC, uh, Sydney Missionary Bible College in Sydney. It's called Walking Together on the Jesus Road about uh, cross-cultural discipleship. Secondly, uh, Crossing Cultures, Crossing Lanes, a book from InterServe. Uh, You can find that uh, on there as well. And lastly, a website uh, called The Verge Network. It's a site on discipleship, and uh, there's a section on cross-cultural ministry as well. Uh, It's a Francis Chan site with a bunch of others as well, but worth going on there and digging into it. All right, let's pull it back. Paul, um, as you're thinking about reaching people and uh, moving them towards the gospel and Jesus, what does integration look like? Like, what are you, are you pulling them back into somewhere or establishing where they are and then sending them out again? What does um? Is there a limit to to what you can effectively do in terms of integration?
0: Yeah, so I think this is what we've kind of been, been kind of wrestling with. It depends on your model, doesn't it? So the attractive, attractive type church where you're welcoming them in, um, it depends on one or two professionals, really, or three or five if you've got the five M's model. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh so I think there is significant limitation in a multicultural context um, in terms of how many people you can effectively integrate. Um, so, yeah, I think w- our approach is to is to kind of go out and send people out and form smaller churches out in the community. Um, so, we you know, we still need the four-year theologically trained person, but really, um, yeah, trying to raise up lay leaders in the different communities, um, which I think, the number of cultures that you can effectively integrate into a model like that is is just endless. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that actually changed the training model as well, hasn't yeah. it? Uh, so you mentioned someone with a four-year degree, which is a high level of commitment to step out of life and go to train at Bible college for four years and step back in. And not everyone's going to be able to do that, and culturally it may not be. Yeah. So ha- how is it you're training leaders if they're not doing that? What do what do you do?
0: Yeah, well, we're we're trying to train them on the job. So as I said, we equip them with a really simple discovery Bible study. So everyone, as soon as they become a Christian or whether they're a mature Christian, we say, here's a really simple tool that you can take out. Um, and uh, and then we encourage them to go out, kind of um, say, we're going to walk, walk with you along the way, and then... Um, if they go out and they start a new group, then there's another level of leadership where we pull them in. So everybody who's doing a Discovery bio-study group, we pull them in and do a little bit more in-depth kind mm. of training, send them out again and um, so forth. Um, yeah, so just, just the different layers of leadership depending on, I suppose, where they're up to in terms of um, discipling people. Mm.
1: And what are the benefits you're seeing of a to a diverse approach to discipleship and evangelism?
0: Yeah, there's heaps of... Benefits, I think having diversity amongst, you know, in our network kind of really sharpens people. So it shows us blind spots, sharpens our character, knowledge, et cetera. Um, but other benefits benefits have been um, this whole idea of trying to equip everyone to go out rather than encouraging, you know, you invite someone into your church. Mm. It's just been people that we wouldn't choose as leaders have Taken this tool and gone out and have started new groups, and that's that's been that's been wonderful to see, mm. really encouraging. Um, so that's probably been the the biggest one, and just even stories and things that have happened that I, as an English-speaking Western part, I could never reach some of these people. Um, so that's that's even just on Sunday, you know, a, a Chinese guy speaks no English, came to church one of our Chinese kind of missionaries that are on our team, um, he's been reading the Bible with him. He became a Christian on Sunday. He's getting baptised next Sunday. <laughs> I couldn't, I can't even talk to him. Um, so, yeah. So how did he so,
1: find out about church? Was it a friend? Or How did he hear the gospel? Yeah, so
0: um, uh, the grandfather um, just was walking along the street, saw us, came for a drink of water, Brought his grandson along. Grandson become a Christian. Became a Christian. Then one of our Chinese leaders took that, went into his home, started discipling the grandson's parents, and now he's become a Christian. So you've, you've got a. It's basically just going out, meeting the family along these cultural networks, and. Um, yeah, yeah Jesus great. transforms lives. <laughs>
1: he does. And look, we so this is great. We have to grapple with this more and more. The net population of Australia is going to grow more by people coming from overseas than it is by population growing here in the next 10 years. So we need to work out how the great opportunity we have to reach people who are coming to us and people who are not like us uh, but who are still made in the image of God. Hmm. Paul, what is the one thing you want people to take away when it comes to cross-cultural discipleship?
0: Yeah, I reckon the, I reckon the one thing is... We need to figure out how to train up more Indigenous leaders, leaders from particular countries, context cultures that are coming to us, um, figure out a better way to do that, I think, because they're the ones who are going to reach their community um, and we can reach our community, but um, we're going to struggle to make a dent in the uh, diversity that's coming to Sydney unless we do that.
1: Brilliant. The One Thing is part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, and it's a good chance to point you to one of our partner podcasts, the Unseen Leadership Podcast, with Jen Levenoy Josh Hunter. Explore the unseen stories that have leaders, made leaders who they are today. If you like what you heard today, hopefully you did. I always enjoy talking to Paul. Listen, let I me mean, once more I encourage you to check out the TED Talk at Multiply that uh, Paul and Beth did. It's excellent. We need to think more deeply into this area. But if you enjoyed today, we'd appreciate it. If you just take a moment to rate the show on iTunes, and even leave a comment. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The One Thing. Coming up in our next episode, we are having our Stuart back on the show after a long hiatus. And he is going to be uh, telling us the things we need to know about toxic masculinity, which will be followed by another episode by our Stuart. After that, on Healthy. But next week, our Stuart. I'm Derek Hanna. Chat soon.